listening to Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Hikara, and this is episode number 67. And this week on the podcast, my good friend Mike Hill makes his return to Soul Knox um, for our our uh, kind of series that we're running bet- between Everything Went Black and Soul Knox, titled Darkness Weaves, which is, of course, a uh, journey through the work of Carl Edward Wagner. Um, we've been covering the stories in the collection called In um, In a Lonely Place, which is um, which of course is released by Valencourt Books. You can get the book uh, in either hardcover or paperback um, on uh, everywhere on their website, or you can go on Amazon or wherever you order books, or you can go on Audible and pick up the uh, the audio book. So I have both. I have both the audio book and the actual book, which I use both for doing the episodes. So you know, I pretty much uh, ever since I got the audio book, I've been reading it and then listening to it uh, the day of while I work to get everything ironed out in my head. Um, so this week we're covering The River of Night's Dreaming. Our last episode, which was on Everything Went Black last month, was uh, 220 Swift, or 22-Ot Swift, or however you want to pronounce that. But this time, yeah, we're covering The River of Night's Dreaming, which is a story kind of set in the uh, in the King of King in Yellow um, kind of world, um, uh, if you know... Of course, uh, uh, Robert Chambers, um, and if you know stuff like True Detective, you'll be familiar with some of the ideas of of the King in Yellow. And uh, so that's what we're covering. Um, River Night's Dreaming is, is not only in, in a lonely place, but is also collected in stuff like... Um, I have a uh, book called uh, it's released by Chaosium. It's called The Haster Cycle. And essentially that um, collects almost all the main texts of... Um, both from Robert Chambers that deals with the King in Yellow, as well as also um, the Ambrose Bierce stuff, where the you know names Carcosa and and everything show up originally, um, and uh, up to the really horrible story about August Derleth, which has ha- has to be this fucking I just idiotic like Godzilla creature. Um, to stuff like River of Night's Dreaming, um, and another story in there is an attempt to, I guess, write something like The King in Yellow as in the play format. So it's a, it's a very good book to have if you're a fan of The King in Yellow. I do know as well that there's another story collection, which I think was, uh, was done by Kenneth Height, I believe, if I remember correctly, about The King in Yellow. Um, but yeah, so there's definitely some, some, um, story collections, but yeah, you can pick it up on Only Place or, you know, if you really like this King and Yellow shit, I would recommend getting the Chaosium uh, Haster Cycle book as well. So yeah, so that is what we're covering. Uh, and um, yeah, so before we get into the episode, uh, I got my plugs. Of course, Mike and I are both part of the Horsemen of the Podcast Apocalypse, a kind of podcasting gang, which uh, has uh, every other Monday, you got Brandon Legion with Whore Wolf 666 um which of course Brandon does uh horror interviews and um sometimes some other types of episodes like I was on to do a top 10 ghost episode movie episode one time Tuesdays you have uh Into the Necrosphere of Jackie Smith which is the best metal podcast out there hands down there's no other that even matches his uh Wednesdays you have the aforementioned Everything Went Black with Mike Hill Every Thursday, you have Necromaniacs with Mike Hill, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid, which is 
probably my favorite horror movie podcast. Um, there's definitely a few that I really love, uh, but Necromaniacs is my favorite. Uh, every Friday, you have the artist formerly known as Break the Apocalypse, now known as Spitball Media, um, with uh, Mike Scandato's brother, John Draper. Um, and uh, intermittent times, you got uh, um, Cheyenne with Tribax from Iblis Manifestations. Um, and of course, I always come out on Sundays, and when I do bi-weekly, uh, the second episode usually comes out, not bi-weekly, but I release two episodes in a week. Um, the main episode, you know, the, the episodes will always come out Sundays. The second episode usually will drop Wednesday night or Thursday night, depending on, uh, depending on, uh, um, depending on my schedule. So, that's what, that's how it is. Um. Um, and then, yeah, you can follow everybody on social media. Um, you can follow everybody on whatever podcasting app you use, be it Spotify or whatever. And whatever app you are, be sure to rate and uh, be sure to share everybody's stuff. Like, really helps a lot to share the word, spread the word, get people listening. Um, yeah, it's always nice to get more listeners and people who appreciate what we're doing. Um, and I appreciate all of my all of the people that I've met. Um, through doing this podcast, it's great. Um, speaking of which, I also have the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Solnox podcast, uh, $2 a month, and you get two to four bonus episodes a month. And yeah, I appreciate all the people who have signed up so far, all the patrons. Um, it's great to have you on. And of course, if you sign up too, I'll uh, be sure to mention you up on here on the uh, main feed. You know, that's always nice to, uh, to recognize the people who are the true fans, so to say. And, um, yeah, outside of all that, um, you can follow, also follow me at Denver Underground Radio, which is, of course, the online radio station I run with my friend Ken, um, denverundergroundradio.com. We uh, do shows every Tuesday and Thursday. Um, Tuesdays is called Darklands, which is black metal, death metal, dark ambient. Thursday show is uh, goth, post-punk, dark wave, stuff like that. Um, both shows start at 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, um, and are live at DenverUndergroundRadio.com. And like I said, and you can go on to Instagram and uh, see all the set lists. You can get links to all the Spotify playlists that we do uh, as we make all the playlists on Spotify. So you can always go and listen to them on there as well. And uh, yeah, see the playlist and see all the stuff about the podcast as well on that uh, on there on Denver Underground Radio on Instagram. Um, so yeah, I think I got all the plugs in, um, so for the next, the plan for the next couple, for I guess this week into next, um, the second episode this week is going to be, um, uh, Horror Hotel, a part of the ongoing series to do with one of my best friends, Mike Purdy, and we're covering t- Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, so that's what's coming out, uh, this week. The next Sunday is going to be a kind of what will be a kind of a semi-recurring um uh show um which i'm doing with void from uh, nihilus and gravure where we're covering some of our favorite black metal albums of all time and we're kicking off this whole thing with under a funeral moon and we decided to do this before we even realized that it was the 30th anniversary so it really works out not only are we covering the the the, the album which is one of the best black metal albums of all time but it also happens to be uh, on the uh, 30th anniversary of that album coming out. So, <clears throat> so that's how we're kicking off also the, the kind of the Halloween ser- uh, season um, for October. 
And um, the second episode next week is going to be uh, with my friend Cam um, with his new project, um, Black, sorry, Black Flame Death Cult. <laughs> Had a moment there for a second when I was like, ah, Black Sun. Uh, yeah, Black Flame Death Cult, which is an amazing uh, kind of dark punk uh, project that he did. You can check that out on Bandcamp. So that'll be the second episode next week. So, yeah, that's what we're going to be kicking off Halloween with. And I got some really cool episodes in line. You guys are going to really like them. And, uh, yeah, excited to get everything out there. Um, so, yeah, so now let's go ahead and get into the episode. I hope you guys enjoy. Hail Satan. The street plunged on atop the riverside, and still there were no lights or signs of human activity. The rain continued to pour down from the drowned night skies. She began to think about crawling into one of the dark warehouses to wait for morning, then thought of being alone in a dark, abandoned building with a closing pack of rats. She walked faster. Some of the empty buildings show signs of former grandeur, and she hoped she was coming toward a better section of the riverfront. Elaborate entranceways of fluted columns and marble steps gave onto the street. Grotesque Victorian facades and misshapen statuary presented imposing fronts to buildings filled with the same musty decay as the brick warehouses. All right, we're back to the darkness weaves, uh, second to last for uh, in a lonely place. <laughs> yeah, man, it's been a real uh, journey doing this this book, and um, it's been a lot of fun uh, talking about Carl Edward Wagner. And I hope more people have uh, started checking out his material because this is literally the only stuff that's in print right now. Yeah, I definitely feel like it's definitely seen people who have, so it's good. And um, yeah, this time we're covering uh, River of Night's Dreaming. So this is one of his stories along with Sticks. I think it's probably been the most anthologized, I would imagine, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, originally this this was um, published in Whispers 3, which um, was like a, you know, a magazine that came out in the 80s. I think uh, according to my research, it was uh, August 1981. 
and uh, yeah. that was uh, published by uh, Stuart David David Schiff, and um, a lot of a lot of those uh, those volumes were collected in like these like sort of uh, omnibus editions that are available as hardcovers and things like that. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I'll have to try to track that down. I'd like to have like the those sticks, like I mean, not sticks, but you know, like the whispers editions, like and have like the illustrations, everything they did in that. Yeah, yeah, you know, totally. You know, and apparently this was uh, adapted to a TV show. Uh, there was a show in the '90s called The Hunger, which I never even heard of. Okay, and uh, this was an episode that this this was adapted as an episode of that anthology show. I'm sure they had to, to edit oh, a few yeah. things down with this story. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. I yeah, this is um one of the few Wagner stories that uh i was like real aware of before getting in a lonely place because um i have a chaosium book that they released that has like it's like a king of yellow collection of of it's from chaosium where it's like it was you know edited by kenneth i not kenneth height um what's his name uh robert price you know and it's all like these different like king and yellow mythos stories basically you know what i mean well, you know, before we get started on this, uh, you know, this, this, uh, the the King in Yellow, like the uh, Yellow King mythos, um, the Robert Chambers book, um, the first four short stories in that, the Repair of Reputations, the Mask, and the Court of the Dragon, the Yellow Sign. This could actually be the fifth story in that four story, uh, you know, run. I think it's, it's, it's very much a King in Yellow Carcosa mythos expansion story. It definitely. is. And even if you look at um, the later stories in, in The King of Yellow, um, you have like the one where the guy um, gets lost in the moors or whatever and ends up yeah. like back in time. So you could look at it that this, this story basically really does like capture the energy of The King in Yellow as a whole, like the whole book even. Like even the less horrific stories in The King in Yellow, it still have these characteristics that this story has in, has in line with it, which is like, you know, this is very much a capital weird story, W weird story. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's, there's not really any explanation of what's going on. And, uh, yeah, it's all about, <clears throat> it's primarily about atmosphere and mood and kind of trying to untangle what's going on. You know what I mean? Like in a lot of ways, sort of, um, ambiguity too, because at the end of there's a, I think, yeah, the first time I read it, I read it as a straight narrative, you know, going through the whole, you know, beat by beat from A to B to C to D. But the second, you know, in subsequent readings, it there's multiple ways you can actually interpret this story. You know, when you go to, back to the ending of the story, I have a lot of different thoughts on what actually happened in it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. And I don't necessarily think a straight narrative is actually what was going on. I don't think so either and uh in the in the book obviously in the afterward there's the uh stuff that wagner says about the story but which i usually read but i'm gonna wait to read that until after we talk about it because uh it gives away too much you know what i mean <laughs> oh, totally yeah. so yeah and it, it makes you think like about it in a whole different way when you read kind of part of what his intention was you know what i mean because you're sure. not really 100 aware of that fact when you're reading it you know but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, how to start? The story starts off with a unnamed character. Uh, they're, they're it's called like a, they're on an activities bus, and uh, 
person's referring to where they came from as a prison, but you get the sensation that they're in an activities bus. It's probably more a mental institution. You know what I mean? <laughs> like to this day, I'm still not sure what kind of activities. Bus. Seeing people activities they would be going to, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like you'd be taking a criminally insane person on an activities <laughs> bus, but uh, you know, but they do do that for, the less violent people maybe they thought that yeah i don't know but they're on this bus and all of a sudden it goes over and crashes in the water and our main character somehow manages to escape and is like at one hand thinking to just go and you know wait for rescue but then but then the character thinks this female character thinks no i'm going to try to get away you know i want to have freedom so she starts swimming she sees some lights and starts swimming across, I guess, is a lake. Well, you know, it's a river. A river, yeah. 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 So, um, and, and they do, he does, Wagner does a really good job of, uh, you know, portraying how hard it is or how hard it must be to swim, you know, in, in a storm, in a river, a long distance, because he touches on how um, her clothes are dragging her down. So she discards her clothes and he's swimming basically in her bra and panties. And, um, the original initial burst of adrenaline wears off and she starts feeling fatigue. So there's like a very uh, anxiety rich element to the story where she's trying to, you know, not drown and make it to the other side. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, definitely really captures that really well in a similar way as in the last story we covered where he captures like, you know, like experiences like say when that character in the last story got hit in the head and was like trying to figure out where he was and you know like you really feel from the inside of the character like the experience that they're having and you feel like this with this main character with her swimming because i can only imagine i mean trying to swim that far across like a river like that i mean river has a pretty heavy current you know what i mean like it's pretty obviously supposed to be a big river of a current she's trying to swim against the current and trying to get to the other side and and then once she gets to her side, she realizes that there's like a bluff basically of like cliffs and she's trying to figure out how to, how to swim against it and get across it. till finally she finds some, some stairs and manages to pull herself up. And, uh, I think it's creepy too. when she's talking about how there's like uh, rats as well, you know, oh, yeah. water, you know, <laughs> and even when she finally gets into the city, um, you know, the rats are sort of following her and there's these like, brutish like creatures and stuff that you know they're described really well as like following her and uh now the thing that i find interesting it's like this is like very much weird fiction with like the unnamed city like this kind of desolate city in the night in you know in a stormy night where you you know what what, what town is this where is this there's no geographical location given which plays into some of the other ideas i have about what actually is going on in this story you know right well you, she finds herself in like a warehouse area what's interesting is that she's just walking down one street right like she's walking down one street continuously and it changes from these warehouses to these other buildings and they all seem to be abandoned like everything's boarded up there doesn't seem to be anybody there and she's being followed by rats and all those kinds of stuff and she's going down and it feels very much like that kind of nightmare like a nightmare city like you have a nightmare you're just like going down and 
it doesn't make a lot of sense. You're just going down like a street and there's no openings on either side. Like she can't get out. There's no alleyways, you know, like in the, um, I'm trying to remember the, the book that, uh, there's this like weird fiction collection from this author. It's Belgian author. I'll try to remember the name of it. I, I think I sent, sent, sent you one time, but he has a lot of these stories like this, where he's like, you're going into these like weird nightmare cities, you know what I mean? That don't make any sense, you know? So it definitely feels like in line with that kind of stuff. She runs into this statue too with, um, you know, you can't see the face and, you know, there's like this sort of ominous feeling to it. And, uh, and eventually she runs upon this, uh, the house uh, where she looks in the window and she sees there's these two women in there. One's in a, in a maid's outfit and uniform. And the other one's this like older lady who's either between 40 and 60. Which I found to be like a, a wide range of you know that's a, it's like being like I don't I have no idea what what age she is you know I've seen some women like that though where you're like she's obviously over forty but you can't quite tell you know what I mean like <laughs> you're like I definitely seen someone like that it's kind of like uh it's like she's older but she hasn't like aged to that point where she looks old you know what I mean like that's yeah. kind of the description and before she gets to that house remember she starts being chased by some type of thing. Yeah. Which may or may not actually come back at the end of the story. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's some type of thing, and and that's what led her. She climbed up these stairs, and she came to this house up on the top. Of the, and um, yeah, and she looks in, she sees these people, and she decides, well, I'm going to just tell them some story to explain the fact that I'm out here, you know, half naked or whatever, just wearing my underwear. And they, she pounds on the window, and finally they let her in, and she tells her. Tells them her story that she was attacked by some man or something like this. I think she says she was hitchhiking or something. And um, and these ladies are, you know, they're very uh, sympathetic. You know, they're very much like, oh, you need to, oh, you're half dead. Like, we need to take care of you. Like, you know, like, let's get you warmed up, like, you know, all this kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, and they're giving her, like, some kind of weird tonic and shit, you know? <laughs> now, that, that plays in. The, you know, the, the sort of imbibing of substances is like kind of like a point to be made in this story uh, as things progress, you know. So they ask her what her name is, and she at, at this stage of the story, we don't know what her name is. Yeah, she's a named character, and she comes up with uh, uh, Castilda Archer. Okay, and we later learn that Dr. Archer is involved in it was her basically her doctor back at the asylum so she you know kind of comes up with this name so we have the the maid is is camilla yeah and then we have mrs chastain yeah which which chastain. and it was anybody who has read the king yellow knows that castain <laughs> is the name of the uh the main character in um uh the repair of reputations is the same last name and then also, also uh, Doctor Archer is the doctor for uh, what's his name? Um, the same character in uh, Hill, Hill uh, Hildred. From, yeah, Hil from, Hildred. Um, Hildred Castain. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that, yeah, that, that's the thing. Hildred Castain. That's the yeah. um, the Archer is his doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and then yeah. Camila and Castilda are names from the the story, the king, the the play, The King in Yellow. From yeah. which we get from the uh, little excerpts that Robert Chambers had written it. So, just let's note anyone who hasn't read the Chambers piece is that uh, the the King in Yellow is never 
it's it's only referred to you know like they talk about what you can't get to the third act of it or something like that the first two acts and you go insane and you know it's it's never it's not a there's no piece go out and buy called the king in yellow that's the play it's only referred to in the in the chamber stories exactly yeah and then i think you know and and of course in the stories insanity is a big part of them you know and you have this like idea that the people who have read the king in yellow know each other you know they they share the yellow sign all this kinds of stuff like which i think has some some points in this which is like like in uh true detective like that the main bad guy you know at the end like i always felt like he was very much like hildred you know what i mean like that kind of character you know what i mean Errol, Errol Childress. I think that's the name of the guy you're referring to. Yeah, Eldred, El, er, yeah, Errol Childress. Like he, he always made me think of Hildred Castain and the King and Yellow, you know, like that kind of guy. He's like, Red King Yellow's gone crazy. Yeah. Or <laughs> type of name. Actually, it's funny you mentioned this. I'm, you know, I'm not, not meaning to give an ad for my own, you know, for Everything Went Black, but we talk about all this stuff on the two episodes we did about King and Yellow. So, yeah. I'm sorry. True detective, so we cover all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, you, you and Ralph. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely anybody listening to this is interested in more about the kind of stuff needs to go listen to the episodes you about True Detective because I mean, this is definitely relevant. And I, I wonder if the author, the guy who wrote King Yellow, I mean, I mean, the guy who wrote True Detective was aware of the story. You know? Yeah. No. No. Um, yeah. Nick Pizzolatto, he calls out. He's like, you know, definitely uh, Robert Chambers, H.P. Lovecraft. He talks about, uh, you know, Wagner, you know, the, the short story sticks, you know, all that kind of stuff. Calls cool. out all those things. So he's definitely read this story then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The, um, but yeah, so they're like, you know, kind of, you know, trying to take care of her. And then, um, then Casilda basically passes out essentially right like she sleeps because she's been you know they're giving her like you know tea and stuff to warm her up oh no they it kind of the weird thing kind of starts with when they they have her take a bath yeah and then camila is like coming on yeah camila's like touching her vagina and stuff you know what i mean like (laughs) you're like okay something something's going on here already from that point you know Uh, very sexy story actually you know in a lot of ways this particular story it kind of reminds me of the kind of sexiness of like a david lynch like you know when you see you know and like you know maholland drive the part where naomi watson and um laura um what's her last name um uh i'm forgetting her last name you know like when you know what i'm talking about like when yeah yeah when they're like when they're like like making love in that scene in maholland drive like that's actually like one more sexy like lesbian scenes like in any movie i've seen you know what i mean <laughs> well, yeah that's, that's, a- that's the sense that you get from this this uh segment well actually there's really there aren't any real male any there's only one male character really in this it's all female it's all women in this story so even like the uh you know the exploitation and inappropriate touching all this is it's female to female you know it's there's really dr archer is a male but he's like referred to or is he actually I read Doctor Archer as a male. It's uh, it's hard to say because I remember, I think I, you think it's a male, but then there's one point where he refer there the character refers to Archer as a female, so I'm not really sure. Okay, okay, yeah. you're right. So, so the only and we get to this later is that the only unaccount. All right, okay. 
Mrs. Chastain, there is a Mr. Chastain, but he's vacant. He's not part of the story. He's yeah. not, there's no evidence of him anywhere. So there's only a reference to a male character in this. So all the main players in this story are all, are all women. Yeah. So every, they, every character in this is, is women, except for the one monstrous thing that shows up later. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And male. Male. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's interesting. And they're like, um, yeah, so you get this like little little hint of like, you know, Camila's kind of coming on to her and, and there's a lot of like later on like when after like after she's like Castillo is like slept and getting better, she's like really like she's like really like m- noticing how booksome like Camila is and like kind of getting turned on by it and feeling kind of kind of like sure. disgusted with it at the same time. You know what I mean? Like she's kind of like has this mixture of attraction and repulsion by, by our own feelings you know what i mean so we also learned that there was a, a that um mrs castain had a daughter constance who disappeared you know at that point of the story we don't really know where she is or what she has done or any of those things so there's this uh you know looming other character out there that uh is, is part of this 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 you know, narrative that's going on that's being developed. You know, we got the two women. We have uh, Castilda who comes into the scene and is only supposed to stay one night, but, you know, of course, gets drawn into the fold and spends way more than one night there. Yeah. Well, then what's interesting, she's staying in Constance's room and particularly when, when the fever and stuff kind of breaks, like she... And like she finally gets dressed and she's wearing Constance's clothing and stuff. And she has this feeling of being like, um, like at home, like, like she's been here before, you know, like a sense yeah, of familiarity. Like deja vu kind of vibe. Yeah. The other thing that needs to be pointed out is that the story, uh, is set probably in like, um, present day, like as when a story is written, like the 70s, but where, uh, like all the, things that they're wearing like their clothing the whole house itself all looks like about turn of the century you know yes i'm like like 1890s like they're all dressed in like edwardian clothing and and the house looks like an edwardian house you know like they close uh there's so many c names in here Castilda, yeah, yeah, they clothe Castilda in like these kind of like a corset, you know, and all this like baroque like clothing and stuff. So she's also dressed like these other ladies too now. Exactly, she's wearing Constance's clothing. And there's one point where she's when she's dressed and she's sitting and she realizes that she can hear the city outside, and she hears this hound of of horses' hooves and like carts going by instead of cars. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And this is one of those way. Parts where the story really reminds me of some of the later stories in in um, the King in Yellow, like when the, that story where the guy goes back in time to the medieval time. It's like he at first doesn't think he's back in medieval time. He thinks that it's just maybe some backwoods like kind of place, and then he starts realizing that no, like I've somehow you know I'm not in my time. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what's happened to her. She's she's like not in her time. She thought that they were just being quaint and you know strange dressed like this but no like and i guess i think that she i think it's set in the 70s but it could be it's intermittent you don't know you just know that it's set before that time so it could be in 
anytime in the first half of the 20th century when she escaped the thing because at the end we will find out some stuff but um yeah so it's like at first she thinks that these people are just you know very old-fashioned but then she starts like falling in it and she just accepts this fact like she accepts the fact that she's not hearing cars stuff she starts forgetting her past even she she forgets where she came from like and then all of a sudden she'll have like these weird memories of dr archer like you know electroshocking her and stuff like that but then yeah but then other times she's have constructed these other narratives entirely like and you know one time she says that oh didn't i come out of a nunnery or something then she's like no that's from the the book because what happens too is um um mrs castain essentially takes her on to be like her companion to like read to her and stuff and she has her read the the king in yellow to her you know and uh like like you were mentioning you kind of slip in in between these different time shifts you know there's castilda as camilla or i'm sorry castilda as constance you know she's taking on this sort of role as constance uh, mrs castain and then we get insights into what was going on when she was in the, the asylum you know with the electroconvulsive therapy and the uh the injections and the you know abuse and all this sort of stuff that's going on with dr archer yeah so it's like a weird sort of thing where like dr archer and mrs castain kind of the same way that castilda and constance are morphing into one another it seems like archer and castane are also kind of like co like coexisting in this space too you know what i mean yeah particularly when you get in the fact that they're giving her this tonic every night and she's passing out and then we're we're given this these weird descriptions of uh these experiences she's having where she's like in this darkness but then all of a sudden it seems like she's being kissed by two mouths and she's like describing yeah. like thighs around her face and stuff like this you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, like and, real real like you know real graphic stuff definitely. and and she's and but then it's described like when she's being kissed it's like the breast being taken out of her which get, gave me a very vampiric type of feeling at the same time you know they also talk about then you know there's like instances where she's her neck's being bitten too which also you know there's like the old you know camilla like the old vampire story too you know which they play around with that concept even though it's not really relevant to the story you know what i mean yeah it seems like uh look reading the first time it, i was like is this going into like a vampire territory because it's what just seems like right now like it seems like very vampiric like she's fallen into some type of clutches of two vampire ladies or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the first time I read it, I thought I was in the same page. It was like, oh, this is like some kind of Euro, Euro, like vampire, like va vampire, like the movie, yeah, the Y, you know, or, or Daughters of Darkness or something like that, Vampiros Lesbos or something, or, you know? or Vampires, that one that you guys, that you and Mike covered. Yeah, yeah, that uh, was another great one. Yeah, or, or Vampires, or, yeah, the one from nineteen seventy three yeah. or whatever, which is great. Yeah, and, and also, you know, Wagner wrote this in the seventies, so it kind of it would make sense to me that he would. You know, mind that territory a little bit yeah it definitely this this definitely has a very 70s horror feeling to it you know what i mean yeah. like this this would like if you made this into a movie properly you could it would be perfect with like messiah of evil or something you know what i mean okay. <laughs> yeah and um so yeah that that fits right in with that whole vibe too you know um now also there's a a couple couple things that I found interesting is like she finds like uh, now this is out of sequence I think there's the the diary 
Constance's diary that she finds and uh which that doesn't sort of shifts the time because there's like the the sequence of the of the journal entries are like the dates and all that stuff it's like from a different time so it establishes this time slip that happens you know what i mean yeah it's like the the diary is like 1890 something and yeah 1890 something yeah and castilda is writing a diary and then can't remember the date and looks back and there's all these other things in her exact same hand that she's writing in so i'll say 1890 and she just puts yeah the date in it's very like it's like it's like you get this thing is is like all these clothes fit her perfectly all these things like she's writing in the same and you just wonder like is she taking on constance or like like you know or is she constance you know you know you don't know you're kind of you're not exactly sure yeah it's like is this some weird dream or some is she someone else or she's reincarnated or you know what's the deal yeah um and then of course we have our uh our our s&m bondo uh, <laughs> which is like yeah that, that's that's I, like I, that's like the big reveal in the story is like is like uh one night she wakes up out of her dream and goes she hears like some type of sound and like some type of crying and she goes up the stairs and sees like camila like with her like legs like strapped to the bed and her arms pull forward and a ball gag and fucking mrs cassine is like whipping her you know <laughs> yeah, definitely you're like whoa, whoa. <laughs> i kind of feel like a lot of that stuff detracted from the story a little bit you know what i mean like i mean i'm not i'm not a prude obviously but like the story didn't really need to go in that direction in my opinion to make to make it interesting to me i was like interested in just all the weirdness of it you know the atmosphere right it just felt i feel like um I guess it sets up the ending though like in the sense that like when they like after this happens and everything they like essentially tie up constance you know what i mean not constance um yeah whatever castilda castilda slash constance yeah yeah. they tie her up and then she has these with flashbacks to being um in the institution and all this types of stuff right and like then that like leads her to flashing back to like whatever got her into that place in the first place and she like basically escapes her bonds and goes get goes and gets a knife and murders everybody you know what i mean <laughs> the, w- the way they tell it though is like you know this key she finds a key you know and she unlocks a key and that's the first murder and she you know, she goes into the kitchen, but it's actually the key is a knife, you know. Yeah, it's the key to her like yeah. getting out of there or whatever. Yeah. And then uh at, we see this hanging creature, which is the only other male character in this, which is that weird beast from the beginning of the story, too. Yeah. Well, and I think the one thing though that that bef- before that is when she kills Mrs. Castain, you feel that she actually is Constance. Like she's Constance's like avenging spirit or something like this. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of like the the feeling I got from it. You know what I mean? That's one. That's one way. Because, like I said, I initially I read this as like a straight narrative. You know what I mean? But now I'm not exactly sure how. I have a different take on the story, which we'll talk about in a, in a few minutes. Right. Yeah. Because. The way it the way it wraps up is she jumps into the river again. Yeah, this, this, you know? yeah. The, the monster tries to grab at her, and she jumps into the river, and then 
start swimming away again or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like a, a sort of wraparound at the end where they're they're there's these workers at the asylum and uh you know that they they're commenting on how her body was never found you know is there, is there anything in her room of note and they found a bunch of like gothic romance novels and some smut and if, lo and behold a copy of the king in yellow yeah they open and, it up <laughs> yeah whose name do they see written in the in in inscribed in the book but constance justine yeah and then What's interesting is that the you got the Doctor Archer and then you got this older person who'd been working there for longer and kind of knew some type of story about this Constance or something like that, right? But then we don't re actually they don't she doesn't say what happened, you know what I mean? So you're like comment that the asylum used to be a private asylum back in the day, like in the turn of the century, you know, the eighteen hundreds, late eighteen nineties or whatever, and that um Earlier on in the story, when Castilda asks what happened to Constance, they talk about how she ran away with a lover. And uh, Mrs. Castain, like, you know, took some retribution on her. And then she was put in, a, in an insane asylum. So yeah. that book, they commented on um, the King in Yellow being in the asylum library, you know, and that it sort of infers that this was con well it is actually it's constance's book that she read and left for the library i guess and then you know 60 70 years later castilda <laughs> whatever her name is our unknown known, uh, you know protagonist reads this while she's incarcerated at this um at this asylum and then we can discuss what the theories are, what actually happened in this story. You know, I mean, going back to uh, Chambers, his, his concept about the, the King in Yellow, you know, reiterating that it's a play that drives you insane and makes you do crazy things and, you know, take on these like evil like personas. So um, uh, I also get the feeling too that when you read like say the yellow sign, you get the sensation that part of, the effect of the king in yellow as well is somehow to warp reality you know what i mean because you look yeah, at warp reality yeah yeah because you look at the the yellow sign or hour of the dragon or not our dragon sorry uh in the court court of the dragon <laughs> our dragon's fucking conan story our dragon's like conan's the conan story conan, right um uh it has that feeling too where you're like reading this this thing seems to shape warp reality and you're wondering is it warping reality or are people just going crazy you know in yellow sign it seems more like it's warping reality because of the way what happens in the yellow sign the story right but you don't know we don't know if like you know what's going on exactly by reading the king yellow you know what is your take on this like what's your um idea about what the story what's actually going on in the story because it, it is very ambiguous i find it is very ambiguous yeah well i mean i'm gonna real quick i'll read what wagner has to say and then we'll take ahead. that take that into account quite often dreams or nightmares depending on taste will provide inspiration for a story such was the case of the river of night's dreaming the story is based upon a dream i had during the early morning hours of june 30th 1979 as do many writers, I keep a commonplace book of notes, ideas, etc. for possible use in my work. And when I manage to struggle out of bed to do so, I make notes of particularly vivid dreams. 
Um, the story is very close to my dream in which I was an observer of the events, the only difference being that my dream protagonist was escaping from a prison camp until the protagonist began to have fears concerning the house of the parent refuge. At that point, I woke up. And then talks about the thing that basically says, um, um, the title, of course, is taken from Richard O'Brien's song in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Darkness Must Flow Down the River of Night's Dreaming. Uh, fantasy fans will no doubt recognize the thread of references to Robert W. Chambers' The King in Yellow. Rock music fans, they recognize certain parallels to Jim Morrison's song, The End. Only a few readers seem to have realized that the protagonist of The River of Night's Dreaming is actually male, but perceiving himself as female in a psychotic state. Whoa. And the reality of the story is that from his, her point of view, the story is deliberately set upon two levels, supernatural and psychotic, and the levels merge and interchange. Damn. I would so I, you know I didn't read that honestly. Um, so the protagonist is a male. I guess so. It doesn't Damn, say it. Not, there's nothing that, that that's there's nothing that indicates that to me. Me neither. Like I was like I was like reading. I was like, uh, I mean, I don't. I didn't. I can't. It's hard for me to read that into the story. But you know, like parts in the story were just you know being penetrated or whatever, and like talking about like. I don't know, like she's described as wearing a brown panties too. Yeah. And at the end, that, of- I mean, I, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, it's not a guy, but, you know, he's yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't quite understand 70s, that. Yeah. yeah, I don't quite understand that, that aspect of what he's saying, but, uh, but what he's saying is he's operating on a supernatural level as well as psychotic. So I think we can read the supernatural level of it as being reality in the sense that what's happening is what's happening but the character is also having a psychotic like break as well and which you can read in the story you know yeah yeah this last reading what i came up with was that you know there's all these references to her being on being medicated and that there's like two weeks time where she's sane and then she goes psychotic after not taking her medication right so she's um you know, also being fed this uh, this elixir from uh, Mrs. Castain that's also causing her to, you know, hallucinate and have all these, like, dreams and all this stuff. So now this is what got me this time around. It starts off with her jumping into the river, and it ends with her jumping into the river, okay? I believe this, uh, this character was, uh, you know, had some sort of, like, psychotic issues. She was in an asylum. She read The King in Yellow, okay? And it was Castile, Constance's version of the of you know her copy of it. Yeah. She's on this truck, right? Or the bus. And this whole story takes place between her jumping, falling into the river. And this is just a psychotic delusion that she was having. That's the reading this time around when I came up with it. Okay. So First time not- around... It's kind of like Jacob's Ladder kind of thing. Yeah. It's like a Jacob's Ladder kind of thing, where this whole thing took place in her falling from the heights of the bus into the into the river, and because it, it the the fact that she it starts and ends with her falling into the river, that's what brought that's what made that come to me, you know. Except right. that you know in the beginning, the very first time I read this, I read it as a straight narrative, and I was thinking like, okay, this this woman is traveling to um you know a, a dream city basically you know that's in a different time right and similar to what you were saying about 
the King in Yellow, the play Warping Reality, that was in play, and that she somehow became like the the sort of uh, icon of Constance inhabited her, and then she went back and murdered, you know, back in time in this other dimension where this exists. She murdered uh, Camilla and uh, Mrs. Chastain. Castain. Right. That was the first time. And then the second time, there was this delusion idea came to me. Well, then you could also read it in a third way, which is that, which is kind of that, let's just say she does go into this like other, dimen- other dimension, other world type of type of thing, right? And she's interacting with people. But all of the stuff about the BDSM and all the weird stuff could be just her delusions. And like her, psycho- her, her psychosis starting to take over. So she's like taking her experiences from being in the asylum and applying it to these people yeah. who probably who might actually just be really nice people trying to help her. And she's, th- she's having these delusions that they're doing this stuff and she's murders them. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, like there are, all this stuff is like feeding into like the kind of the, the, all these points, you know, cause like they made a point at the end of saying that she had a bunch of like porno mags or, you know, old pornography there and these like gothic romances so that explains why because uh, camilla and mrs chast castain are dressed from you know the gothic era basically you know right i think they're, they're described as dressed like yeah like the edwardian type of yeah like bram, bram yeah. stoker type of era yeah like yeah like that kind of right. like you're kind of supposed to be dressing kind of like how the characters do in uh, bram stoker's dracula right you know so it kind of has that yeah a kind of like late gothic type of feeling yeah the um yeah and i think the thing about the story is that all these things can be true because in a way you know what i mean <laughs> that's exactly yeah i mean definitely like your your idea that it's all just taking place in from the moment of jumping into landing could be true like i mean i don't think there's any real true in the story i think it's kind of like however you decide to to interpret it or you can interpret it multiple different ways you know like wildest version of what i think it happened like that's the furthest stretch i think you know that's maybe further away from me what wagner wanted the story to be perceived as but the only but the reason why that really dug in my head was because it starts and starts it begins and ends with her jumping into the river you know yeah what the other concept about how, because there is a reference in there about how when she regarded the house, that it wasn't as like you know, as uh, you know, opulent as she originally had perceived it, and that it was this kind of this drab building that she was in. You know? Yeah. Well, that that and, there's there's the other element is that the whole thing could be, she could have like, not gone into some weird other world. She is in like just some like shitty part of a town you know imagining all this stuff and and actually like in not in some type of edwardian place at all but like in some type of like shitty you know like house and she just murdered two people that she was completely just projecting all this stuff onto you know what i mean <laughs> that's that's what i was trying to get at was that, you know, like some sort of like in cold blood style like you know home invasion or something like that where she just shows up to her home gets invited in because of their their you know good samaritans that she kills them you know yeah and that that one is like that 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 version of it is like maybe i'll read i'm gonna read it again probably the next couple weeks and see how that fits the narrative too you know because it's it's interesting how this one is like 
so open to interpretation, even though when you read it the first time, it seems very clear what's going on, you know? Right. But what you're I mean, it's ambiguous, but but there's a there's a, a linear progression through this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what you're mentioning at the end, like when she's having a complete psychotic break, that part that like all of a sudden she sees the room as being just like the shabby room full of empty wine bottles or whatever. Yeah. You're like, and then it, then it goes back. You're like, is that the real? And what she's seeing is the is the delusion is a delusion. Like, what is the deal? It kind of reminds me at the end of um, the end of Silent Hill Two. The main character goes to this um hotel, and it looks all nice and and like uh, it's like the hotel where him and his wife had had their 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 special time or whatever. And he goes there, and he it looks like how it did when they visited, like it's all perfect and stuff. But then as he goes through, he starts being confronted by certain things and all of a sudden it changes and it turns into its actual form because it had actually burned down at some point. So it was like this burned down kind of wreck. And that's about the time he starts real. He, at, that's what leads him to the point where he realizes that he actually murdered his wife. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So like, it kind of has that same, it has that kind of feeling like something, you know, like the guys who did like Silent Hill 2, definitely uh new Carl Wagner. Like, I think they've been referenced some of his some of his works. I'm sure they probably read the story. You know what I mean? Watch it. I, I enjoyed it. What's that? You recommended that to me a while ago. I remember I checked it out. Yeah, the, Silent Hill. Yeah, yeah. The movie, yeah. The yeah, the movie. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and the game, like Silent Hill Two, game like is very um, very like psychological, psychological in this way. In this way, you know, it's very much like I would recommend at some point like maybe even watching a playthrough of it if you can find one and just seeing because people you can play through Silent Hill 2 and like I think it's like three or four hours or something if you just go straight through and um the the storyline is just so is very much in keeping with this type of thing of like reality shifting and you're not sure what's real and what's not and it's all like psychological you know what I mean it's just like I think one of the more interesting and possibly one of the better stories this whole collection so far i mean you know as far as um a, a, a conversation piece you know um there's like so much interpretation that goes on in this story you know yeah particularly when you compare to like um i don't know like um uh more sinned against for example you know what i mean that, yeah. that there's, yeah. only, there's not a whole lot you can talk about that story you know no. it's no, like... that's like a very very straight up like you know revenge story you know it's like smutty parts in it and stuff yeah it's like a tales from the crypt story or something where this one is very much a a weird tale like this is Absolutely. like a robert aikman story you know what i mean like in a way even with aikman had a lot of kind of weird sexuality and stuff in it too so this has very much that type of it's in line with writers like Aikman or like the kind of European um, fantastic literature type of stuff. Like the one author, one story I was trying to think of. Help me one second. I'm going to grab this book. I want to show it to you. This is, this is one I was thinking of. It's Marcel Brion, uh, Waystations of the Deep Night. I don't know if you picked that up or not. Yeah. I haven't picked it up, but you don't really tell me about it. That. That collection, if you know if people like this story, probably would like that collection because it's got a lot of the same weird feelings, and it's got the weird nightmare cities, and you know, just like 
um i don't know it's like that it's like him and you you did pick up jean ray i think right the the one belgian yeah. author a lot of his stuff has that feeling too you know what i mean like i feel like this story feels very much like in line with those type of um authors like like those guys or augusta augusta mayrink or like kind of like this the european you know like european version of weird fi weird fiction you know yeah they have, this is a little bit of a different thing than the u.s uh writers for sure yeah because you know u.s weird fiction is more like you know lovecraft and and howard and all that kind of stuff where the european weird fiction the or like fantastic literature or whatever they they i forget what the they're they call it but um um it has a little bit of a different different feel to it where it's a little bit more a lot of times a little bit more dreamlike a little bit more nightmarish and just like um i guess like you know up for interpretation you know what i mean yeah no. and the story definitely fits in that in that vein i feel like but yeah uh, I don't, I don't, the, the whole thing with him being a man, a man, male care, male thinking he's a female. I just, like, I don't really get that. So <laughs> is that really what he intended. I like, don't know. That's what he made wrote. It a little more obvious. You know, I'm not saying you have, we have to get, you know, beaten over the head with it, but it's like, there was literally nothing in there to make me think it was a male. No, nothing in there. They don't say, he doesn't say anything about it at the end. <laughs> yeah yeah i think um definitely uh the story definitely is in keeping with the king in yellow you know people i i think that knowing the king in yellow collection at least the, particularly the first four stories actually probably is um pretty essential for really getting the most out of the story because also yes. the other thing too you gotta think is constance the name constance cast castain that was the name of um the the bride to be of like the main the 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 cousin in um error in repair of reputations yeah 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 you know what i didn't i totally slipped by me on that one but yeah yeah her name is constance as well the one that he's he's like he's like the main uh main characters i focused on like killing or whatever you know what i mean <laughs> yeah that's um yeah, I mean, you know, you can enjoy the story like without reading that, but if you have read, especially those first four stories in in the the King in Yellow, you get like such, you see all the connections, and it's just a lot more fun to have read that, you know what I mean, and and check this stuff out, you know. Thing of prepare reputations, like I've you know I've read that story multiple times, and and I still I think about it, I'm like. Does it does it ever like bother you like the thing like you don't really know what's true or what's not in that story? <laughs> it's, it's total, total like um unreliable narrator, you know. It's like that that Poe sort of thing where the narrator is like you don't know if he's delusional or perceiving things in a different way or lying or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're just like particularly like with the whole thing with um because it's part of me that's like are all does this guy actually repair reputations in the sense that he's in control of all the people who have read the who have gotten the yellow sign you know like all these crazy people who've read the king in yellow and this is like actually a real thing going on on this like weird level or is it all just like they're just fucking crazy you know what i mean like we don't know we don't but at the end you have no idea like <laughs> which thing is true you know it's... 
Yeah. Sometimes but I think I about it. <laughs> we, got, we got like one more of these left and then we're done with uh, in, in, a, in a lonely place, you know, but I guess we're going to move on to some of his other material. Um, you know, the Kane stories, you know, that that's years of material there. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the Kane collection, which unfortunately is only available on uh, Kindle will be our next, uh, next will, you know, where we'll, we'll start on in event November. Awful covers on the Kindle editions. Yeah, the artwork for the Kane collections are terrible. <laughs> yeah, we Valencourt books. Y'all need to fucking get to work. Yeah, man, that's <laughs> that's like the biggest man. I would Valencourt needs to re re get into the Kane business now too. You know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they do really do too much fantasy stuff, but they they should do it. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they thought enough, they thought highly enough of Wagner to put this out. You know, I mean, there's he's got some other stuff too that that could definitely afford being put back into print as well. You know, I there's think, like the other collection, why, why not you and I? That's like another uh horror collection that's out there, you know, and yeah, exactly. That might be the next thing to do too, you know, yeah, yeah, dig it. I gotta do that. Yeah, so we're closing out. In a lonely place, and uh, everything went black next month. So it'll be for Halloween. It'll be right on time for Halloween. Right, right. And we didn't plan that either. We that just how it how it happened. That's the Halloween episode of Everything Went Black. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's funny, right? We just started this at a random month, and it ended in October. Yeah, it's like pretty pretty perfect way to end it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I don't know, guys. For um, Kane, you know, you might have to like just get on Kindle and read those stories, unless you find that stuff used. I mean, there's collections of the Kane stories and the three novels, but uh, they're super, super expensive. Yeah, that, and, you know, yeah, they're like, you know, that story collection one is like, I mean, you got it for okay price, right? But like that, that thing yeah. goes for like five hundred dollars, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe these days the price has gone down a little bit, man. But like, yeah, I've seen it for five hundred bucks, but I didn't pay nearly as much as that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's what I'm, I'm gonna have to do is I'm gonna have to just, just read on Kindle, you know. Yeah. Uh, a few of the stories are uh there's a guy who read um i think two or three of them on youtube that i've listened to so which he, he read the first kane story where they're like in the inn or whatever and then he read um the story with the guy where they go into that underground like the the giant if he's at the giant and they go into the underground city or he's trying right to, yeah so interesting about the giants too because like the Kane, the world of Kane, it's filled with, you know, it's magical. And it's also, um, you get the, the impression that it's not, it might be some alternate Earth, too. I mean, but right. also, the, the there's also this implication that the, there was a whole other age where all these fantastical creatures walked the Earth. And that the giant in this, that short story, he's like the last one, allegedly, or like one of the last of his of his people, you know. Yeah. It's just like that there was yeah he has this like kind of fantasy that if he can get this thing then he can raise his people back up to being like these like kingdom builders like they used to be basically right so it's similar to uh 22 swift you know like that whole subterranean you know people too that have degenerated you know almost like this kind of uh you know brand mac Morn sort of uh vibe with it you know where, where you know the main character is like trying to raise his people out of the darkness into you know being a, a, into a supremacy position in the world and that giant has the same sort of story arc too where he's like it, mostly most of his race is dead most of his people are gone 
and he's like holding on to like getting the crown of this former king and rallying his people to greatness again and you know there's a wagner explores these these themes a lot it seems like in some of his stories it comes back like this past glory you know ruins you know walking in these ruins of past glory like that sort of thing yeah i feel like that's a pretty common theme i mean that shows up in a lot of, a lot of his stories have have these kind of elements even like you know even in the story this week like where she's there she's walking through like this like old you know abandoned area or whatever you know or like even in where the summer ends where they're walking through this old like semi-abandoned area of of knoxville you know like i feel like these types of ideas of ruins and everything is big big concept for and like faded old romanticism you know even back to in the pines you know you're in this place that used to be this like you know really like popular like resort area and now it's like just like fallen you know to ruin like type of place you know what i mean it seems like he's real obsessed with that kind of idea one of my once again tying this back to true detective there's one of my favorite lines that uh the russ cole character had is when he was referring to this town as being a memory of a town yeah exactly (laughs) you know it's so there's so many connections to to that through wagner's work and all that stuff you know everyone talks about legati you know being a huge part of true detective but only the pessimistic philosophy part of it really yeah you know, the, the, the story itself is really not very much i don't feel a legati sort of thing you know no just i feel like the philosophy of russ cole is 100 you know the fucking you know the uh um uh, conspiracy against human race type of philosophy yeah, yeah, right the, but the, pessimistic uh, philosophy yeah yeah but the um the story itself feels more like a wagner story or or something like that you know what i mean it feels like an extension of robert chambers and and more like i could see wagner writing a story like that more so than Legati, you know too wagner a lot of, you know a lot of his um stories take place in the south you know i mean it's you know knoxville tennessee or whatever and yeah you know, louisiana is a far cry from tennessee but it has that Southern Gothic vibe to it. Like a lot of, you know, some of the better material that Wagner wrote. So that's, yeah, I, I, w- I would love to interview it's Lotto, you know, and see what his true like feelings on all this stuff was and, you know, what he really got into, what stories he wrote, what he dug and what, where he was inspired for some of this stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, and then the weird kind of creepy sexual undertones of, True Detective season one is very much Wagner because Wagner's Wagner oh, yeah. st- can't ha- can't hold himself back when it comes to putting weird, creepy sex stuff oh, in his stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely, you're yeah. right. Good call on that for sure. Yeah, I feel like every story has got like something of that going on, except for maybe where the summer ends. You know, <laughs> I guess Sticks didn't really have any sexual stuff, but but he definitely throws that in quite a bit. You know. Dreaming and Sticks and 22 Swift. Probably those are probably three of my favorite stories in this thing so far. You know, those, are, those ones and in the pines. Because I really like pines, that story. Yeah. 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 Oh, strong is quick. In the pines is one. Of, yeah, that's a that's a great one. It just has such a eerie, melancholy feeling to it, you know, that and uh I feel like that story connects really well with sticks because they both got they both got a. Uh, Liches the lich. yeah, yeah, the the lich. Lich. yeah. <laughs> he likes his likes his liches <laughs> yeah yeah a, i feel like this story is 
definitely one of my favorites. Like it's up there. Like just be like the the atmosphere, the feeling of it, the ambiguity. Like um, I don't know. Like after reading it, and then I listened to it again today on the uh, Audible one, and um, I don't know, just something about the the vibe of it is just very like it sticks with you. You know what I mean? When so they, yeah, guys, if you haven't done this yet, it's too late, man. Go over to Valancourt Books. Buy this, man. It's it's a great, if, especially if you love weird fiction. This is go. Yeah, you got to pick it up. Or if reading is not your thing, go pick up the Audible on on uh, Amazon. That's really good too. So, I think, what are you gonna uh, say, Carl? I'll say I also was listening to the Hell House audiobook, Legend of Hell House. Oh, Matheson. Yeah, Matheson. Yeah. I've read that book a few times before, but I was decided to listen to the audiobook version. It's very good, like, and uh, I love that 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 novel. I love the movie too. They're they're pretty close okay. to each other, but I don't know. Screenwriter, so you know, I don't recall if he was involved in in the script writing of the movie or. Yeah, he wrote the script for it. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, totally. yeah, like both uh both those things I recommend because uh, yeah, Hell House is like like a, such a great haunted house like story you know like very classic in my opinion this all year around probably for me and you um now normal people are uh are getting into the halloween spirit and uh what's better than a good ghost story or you know good haunting stories so like you know check out hell house at matheson or uh you know Whisper and I'll come to whistle and I'll come to you by MR James or like Count Magnus or anything, any of those. And those are great, great uh, stories to read around this time of year. Yeah, I love MR James. I read through all of his stories. Uh, I think it was last year, the year before, I read through the whole collection of all this stuff. And yeah, like that, that stuff. And yeah, Hell House actually uh, was surprised. One thing that's funny is like I listened to the River Night Streaming, I listened to I was listening to Hell House and I'm almost done with it and I was like they both have the weird sex stuff going on because fucking the Hell House story's got a lot of that too. So I was like oh, yeah. I guess that's Definitely. the that's the go through of those ones. But yeah. Like No, I, I should I never really listened to uh I've never listened to an audio book. Maybe I'll do that. Like cause a lot of times at night I'll podcast on and lately I mean We've been, we have my girlfriend and I've been getting into listening to a lot of those like storytelling podcasts at night to fall asleep to. And um, I think it'd be cool to check out, like, especially something I've read already to hear it as a, um, as an audio book, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I have a, um, this audible and a scribd, um, the scribd app, like it's cheaper because you, you know, it's like $13 a month or whatever. And you, you can, listen to whatever they have but they don't have everything necessarily so sometimes it's like what they have audible has pretty much everything they have but they don't have everything audible has you know what i mean or whatever but um yeah i just got i just kind of been using audible because uh it the app crashes a lot less than the script app does but uh hell house is on audible and um they're uh they're the audible version of Dr- dracula i think i told you about that i highly recommend that one that one's a that one makes the the novel like way easier to get through. <laughs> novel, you know, not great piece, been very important piece of fiction in the horror. Not a very well written piece, if you ask me. Dracula novel, hard to get through. It's cumbersome. It's a little bit of a slog. You know, parts of it are written better than others. You know, but it's 
it's kind of hard to get through the novel as a, as a to read it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I found listening to it actually a kind of a um, not only easier, but I actually notice things about like the timing of how things happened and everything like that. Uh, when when you're like listening to it because you're getting through it faster than when you read it. Then you're realizing, oh, okay, so this is how all these things line up. So like when Dracula is doing this, this was going on, and you like start piecing it together better. Actually, like if you're going through it faster, you know what I mean. So yeah, I found it to be a very good experience to listen to it. And you get to hear Tim Curry read a uh, read um, as a uh, Van Helsing whenever he's like writing his letter. Van Helsing. Yeah. Definitely gotta check that. Yeah, and so. It, but yeah, there's some good, there's some good ones, and the and on Audible too, you can get the the Legati collection that John Paget, who you just had on Everything Went Black. Oh, yeah, dude, John Paget's the best material for sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that I definitely recommend anybody who who likes uh, likes to listen to stuff. Uh, you got to pick up the Legati uh, John Paget audiobook. That he does a really good job. Like it's really good. Just one shout out. You know, non-sponsored shout out, uh, Cadabra Records. If you like any of this stuff, they even did a Robert Chambers uh, record. Cadabra Records has vinyl versions, vinyl vinyl LPs of guys like John Paget reading Legati with composed film with composed scores accompanying it. And uh, they they have Legati, they got uh, Lovecraft, you know. There's a, a Robert Chambers uh, volume that came out a, a while a while back. No Wagner. I've been talking to those guys. I've been trying to sell them on Carlo with Wagner. You know, and we'll see. Maybe someday yeah. uh, there'll be there'll be a version of one of the, you know this this whole collection. Maybe we'll, we'll see. It'd be cool. If they did sticks like in particular. I could see them like because they do a lot of the kind of Lovecraft kind of stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going down to Philly. There's no, another live performance at the end of in well, actually the first of October. So I'm going to see a lot of those guys in person. I'm going to I'm going to straight up be like, look, you guys need to get on the get with the program and, and start doing some Carly or Wagner records. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I know they just put out they just put out the Willows one, right? Like the yeah, that. Yep. I think uh, is that out or it might be pre order? But yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's yeah. out. Yet. But yeah, I got. I have to pick that up too. That's like one of my favorite stories of all time. Did they? I don't know if they done Wendigo yet. That's my. That's my favorite of uh, Algernon Blackwood stuff. At the Nightlands Festival, I saw the live performance of the Willows. Um, you know, they had like the, the live reader narrator, and and the and Chris did the the score for it, and it was it was it was pretty awesome. And uh, not it's it's an edited version of the of the text, like the guy who read it he kind of truncated some of it because you know that's like a you know pretty long it's like almost like a novella almost i would say yeah so to, yeah. it doesn't lend itself for live performance you know what i mean so it's been it was edited down for the live performance do they because they usually have these the things down to like one lp right or is it or two lps oh no it's some there's there's been two or three lp collections for sure Okay, cool. So yeah. they they do the whole story when they do the LP. Yeah, yeah, they, they do the whole thing. Like there'll be like six sides if it requires that. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely this whole that whole operation. It's quality. They got great artwork. There's a Paul Romano has done artwork for them. Um, yeah, Jeremy uh, Hush, uh, Joe Kineberger, like a bunch of people, a bunch of great artists. That they, they look good. There's incredible artwork. You know, the production's great. You know, the quality vinyl. You know, colors like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 
yeah i need to start picking up some some of the some of their vinyls because i don't, haven't picked up any yet like yeah, I, definitely no, back, definitely. I back what they're doing and i definitely need to start picking up picking them up yeah. you know because like them and then and then of course they're publishing the chiroptera press like you know the Vulgati portraits of apocalypse yeah i'm so wait yeah. i guess they had some like problems with their noctuary like their first yeah. one didn't work or something it didn't work right so yeah that's supposed to come out i guess they're supposed to ship maybe next month so yeah, pre-order that it was on august yeah i pre-ordered yeah. it like immediately when it went like the, the same day that it went on pre-order i pre-ordered it <laughs> yeah like months ago yeah like in like july or whatever yeah. i was like i i'm not no way i'm not getting this fucking book you know what i mean <laughs> totally. yeah. i was like i need to have the rest of Lugati shit like that's like 100 because that's pretty much the only there's only a couple other things that Lugati that I think that's pretty. I think this collection is pretty much going to be the rest of his stuff, right? You know, like, yeah. So. I don't know if you if you picked up on the podcast I did with John, but he is going to be the executor of his state when Magadi passes. Yeah, like he's, he's going to be the guy who's going to keep all Magadi's work in print, his on Grimscribe. Right. I remember, yeah, I remember him, him saying that. The um. But yeah, it's great that they, I mean, it's, it's great that, that Penguin released, you know, the stuff they've released. And, you know, I'm glad that finally Noctray is being reissued because that has been out of print for, I don't even know how long, probably. And I, I don't even know when the last printing of that was, you know, that, that that's another book that goes for like 300 to $500. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can't, yeah, you can't. Yeah. Like when I... When I got like super obsessed with uh, like Lugati, I was like trying to get all of his stuff, and it's like, yeah, that was like the one thing I couldn't get my hands on, you know. So it's like, yeah, me too, man. Me too. I, I'm excited to finally to read some Lugati I haven't read yet, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely. Maybe we should uh, talk about some of his work too. Maybe on like Long Shadows episode on Everything Went Black. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm always down to talk about Lugati, so. Yeah, we should do that. Well, do that. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. And we got one more of these left, and we're on to Kane. We're on to Kane, yep. <laughs> All right, have a good night, man. Take care. All right, you too, brother. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.